Your information is the how. What you're selling is the what. Start with the what, the emotional pull, then tell them how you're going to do it. And then they're listening. I'm David Otey, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. Speaker and author Ron Carr likes to ask the question, what would the world be like if everyone acted like a leader and not a victim of circumstance? In today's episode, Ron and I have a conversation about how acting like a leader ties directly into communicating more effectively, even for a technical presenter, because you have to connect with the heart first and then the mind. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Ode, and on this program, we have a mix of content and conversations on how you can tell the story of your work as a technical professional, because no scientific discovery or engineering solution ever changed the world until it was known. So our theme is primarily that of communicating your work as a scientist and engineer, and I'm very pleased to have as my guest today speaker and author and leadership expert, Ron Carr. Hi, Ron. Hey, David. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Looks good. Uh, looks sunny where you are. Is that Florida? Yeah, Florida. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's cold. It's 74 degrees. What can I tell you? <laughs> That's right. It's 74 degrees in Florida. People break out the parkas, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you here um, because we had a conversation the other day and I learned a little bit more about your background in communicating and, and sales and leadership. And I love the story about the, the x-rays. And I'm, I'm just so looking forward to hearing you share information that will be so beneficial to our audience um, about communication and particularly about leadership and Great. the intersection of those two. So why don't you take it from there and get us started? Sure. Well, in the introduction, you made a reference that it's how to scientists communicate and get known. Right. Um, <clears throat> I think a lot of people communicate. The issue is, does the communication land? Mm, does it land? Right. That's exactly. the issue. Because a lot of your listeners are communicating all the time. The question is, are they getting the funding? Are they getting other people to buy off into the research? And that's where, you know, you get to an intersection of the road and sometimes you get frustrated. So in the Velocity Mindset that we wrote, we have a whole section on how the brain works, you know, and the three hormones you need for engagement, the cortisol, the oxytocin, and the dopamine. And we share exactly how it works. But to make it simple, because the first point for your audience, simplicity and vulnerability sells. Complexity. Oh, I underscore that. Simplicity and vulnerability sells. I love yeah. that. Complexity does not. No. Yet, when you have somebody with a complex mind, like your listeners, um, many times for them, that's simple. Right. It may seem simple to them. Right. It's that curse of knowledge. It's so hard to put yourself in the mindset of someone who doesn't know what you know. Well, it's the world that they live in. So everything they think about is normal. You know, it's what they do. It's not normal for everybody else. And yet when they go for funding, 
many times they don't really understand what the communication should be. So that's what I'd like to share with the audience today. Because like I said, the one thing to remember from this podcast, it's not whether or not you're communicating, it's whether or not the communication lands. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the X-ray story that we have in the Velocity Mindset book. So I was retained by a, a well-known X-ray manufacturer of X-ray film at that time and machines for hospitals and doctors. And at that time, they were going through a transformation where now they were trying to convert all their clients from film to filmless. Because now we had the computers, you know, you don't have to carry those big X-rays anymore. You don't have to worry about them getting lost and all that good stuff. So um, <clears throat> the client that I had, we were doing a lot of work over a period of two years and then one of their regional managers called me up in Canada, the Western manager. And he said, look, you know, my, my client is buying into it. The hospital, the docs all buying into this $5 million tra transformation. And the president said, now it's your turn to convince the, the founders, you know, the, the people with the money. Mm. Because they have to okay it because they're the ones paying for it. So he showed me this presentation that he was going to do. It was beautiful slides, bells and whistles about all the things about the machine can do and why it works and technology and all this stuff. And I said, stop. And he goes, why? I said, who's the new audience? He goes, eh, mostly widows with a lot of money, you know. Okay. Do they really understand how to use their cell phones? <laughs> well, maybe not. So if that's the case, you're now trying to get a PhD in X-ray technology. Is that really what you should be doing here? So one of the things that we talk about in velocity, and David, when you hear the word velocity, what's the first word that comes to your mind? The first thing that comes to mind is speed. Exactly. So speed is not velocity. Right. It's I mean, I was a physics major. Right. The physics <laughs> definition, as you know, is speed with direction. That's right. It's and, and to me... When I use the word direction, I mean the end result, where you're going. Mm. So to break it, and we're going to use this x-ray story throughout this whole conversation. So we're coming back to it. Okay. I just want to give a little contexture to velocity for a second. So you go to a, uh, a, uh, an airport, Newark airport, and you, and you go into Miami, you ask the pilot where we're going, and he goes, wherever the winds take us. Would you stay on that plane? The answer is no. How does a pilot figure out how to get to where they want? They start with the end in sight, the goal. This right. case is Miami. They work their way backwards to find the two or three waypoints so they know if they fly over those, they're on their way. Mm -hmm. They take into account all the winds, storms, potential obstacles, and they come up with a flight plan that gives them the safest and fastest way to get from Newark to Miami. But it all starts with the end. Now, why is that so important? Why do you need that direction? Why do you need to understand where you're going? Because with that in your conscious mind, that is now going to drive your decision-making process. That's going to drive the actions that you take in a certain communication or whatever. So let's go back to this x-ray story. And what I said to the x-ray, to the manager, these are widows for the most part. They may not be, but they're all older, mostly female, a lot of money. In influence communication, there's two parts of the body you got to take into account, the heart and the mind. When people go to influence people, they do it the wrong way because they go straight to the mind. They go straight to the house, the features, the technology and all that. That's right. No one's listening to that part. 
if you start that way. You need to start with the heart, the emotional engagement. The emotional engagement with someone goes, yeah, how do I do that? And then when you get to the mind conversation about how it works, now they're listening to you. Right. But the first thing you have to do is understand the psychological process of influence. And you can't shortchange it. If it goes straight to the mind, which your scientists live in, by the way, they live in the mind, they live in all that technology. They go straight to that first, they're going to lose anybody. Even another scientist, they're going to lose because people want the emotional hook first. That's right. So I said to the guy, what what do these people deal with when they go to the doctors? Oh, you know, they're probably tired of carrying these big x-rays from one doctor's office to another office. Great, what else? You know, they probably are tired that they keep getting lost. Right. So the bottom line is they're not buying your technology. They're buying a better experience. Yes, a better experience. Going to the doctor and dealing with x-rays. Right? Right. And he goes, yes. So here's what I want you to do. Trim those slides down. All right. But I want you to engage the audience up front. Now, the way we, we train this um, if it's less than 10 people, you can ask each person their biggest issue, put on a flip chart, put the name on it. I'll get to that in a second while we do that. If it's a big audience, you can do it by uh, how many people have the same issue, and then you can pick one person. So you start by saying, look, do you remember the last time you went to the doctor's office and you had to get an x-ray? You had to walk all the way to the x-ray department. You had to wait for the x-ray to be printed. Then you had to carry and lug all these heavy x-rays with you to the doctors. And that's if the x-rays weren't lost by the technicians to begin with. You remember that? And they're all going to say yes. And I say, if you want to improve that x-ray experience for yourself and all the other benefactors that come through these doors, what are some of the improvements you want? And so he did that. He asked him, it was a small group. And one person says, oh, I want to make sure I don't have to carry those heavy things. He goes, great. What's your name, ma'am? Mary. Mary, flip chart. Too heavy. Great. What else? They keep getting lost and I have to keep going back and getting a new x-ray. Ah, okay. They can't find the x-rays. Boom. What's your name? Barbara. Boom. And what else? It takes too long. You want it to be faster? Yes. What's your name? Susan. Great. Too long. Now... You go and say, let me show you how your new x-ray experience is going to be improved in all these areas. And then he goes to the technology, but not in detail. He goes, let me explain to you what this slide is all about. That's like five terminals up there, right? I'm not here to talk to you about bits and bytes. What I'm here to tell you about is that no longer do you have to carry an x-ray. Why? Because any of these terminals can instantaneously bring up your x-ray because now they're on a cloud. So from now on, you never, ever have to drag those x-rays. The doctor can look up and you want to edit fast, Susan. Let me tell you how fast they get it. They can get it in a nanosecond. Well, he did the presentation that way. He wasn't expecting an answer for maybe a couple of weeks. He had a 45-minute ride back to the airport. Just as he's pulling into the rental car lot at the airport, the phone rings, and it's the hospital administrator. And he goes, oh, something must be wrong. He goes, hey, what's up? He goes, nothing. As soon as you left, they said, let's do a vote right now. And they funded the project. 
<laughs> that's how fast it was. So to summarize, David, he didn't get lost in the technology. He was, you know, it was it was audience central, not self-centered. You can't exactly. put your, your needs first that I want it funded. You gotta be there for the audience and show them how their lives are gonna be better. And, and say it in the most simplest terms that they can think of. And then remember I said vulnerability? Mm-hmm. He was vulnerable. He said, you know what? I had this suit that I was gonna wear for this presentation and it split <laughs> last night. And I had to order a new one. And I was praying that FedEx really lived up to its reputation. And it did at 8 a.m. And they're laughing. So now they're loose. Now they're ready to have a conversation. He goes into their issues that they deal with. And you know the story. Sure. Because he began with the experience he wanted his audience to have. Exactly. I'm always talking to people about... uh, being audience centric your information goes nowhere if you don't meet the needs of your audience right and that's not just about a presentation that's also when you speak one-on-one with your spouse with your kids whoever you're trying to influence is the same process influence yeah that's the key is influence you can't just throw a message out there and expect somebody to catch it that's a communication you're not communicating exactly it has to land and let's put it this way so in the book, we talk about stories. Now, I know you do a lot of st- story about storytelling, but I want to take stories to a different realm if we can. If I say something to you, anything, you're automatically creating a story as to what you think I meant. That's right. If I do an action, you're automatically creating a story as to what you think I meant. That's right. The reality is, most of those stories you're going to come up with have nothing to do with what I meant. <laughs> that's right. has not, nothing to do with what I meant. And that's a dog that's in the okay. background. That's well, the dog. That's fine. Fine. <laughs> he may be going off again because he hears a door not opening. Oh, anyway, so we all create stories. And if you I just under- a story about your dog <laughs> right there. Yeah, in my exactly. Mind. Like I'm story. upset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my perfectionism in the interview just got destroyed. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, um, we create stories and we have to understand that uh, if I communicate something to you as a leader, world leaders, I have to realize that you're going to be creating a story. I have to make sure that the story you create is the story I intended for you to receive. Oh, let me underscore that. You have to be sure that the story I create in my mind is the one you wanted me to receive. Yes. Okay. So how do you do that? By number one, relating to what they're going through. Right. By explaining the concept mm-hmm. and then explaining what they should be feeling and, and, and how it impacts them. Mm, how it impacts them. Yeah. That's what so often gets left out with technical yeah. presentations, isn't it? Right. Because it, another way to say it is we assume people will get our point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-uh. No. Most of our assumptions are so wrong, we lose so much velocity in life. Trust me. Yes, yes, I get that. So communications is not as simple as everybody thinks it is. And that's why um, we wanted to spend more time in this afternoon with the audience. 
Sure, sure. Uh, uh, tell me uh, a little bit more about how you came to this understanding. Your what in your own journey contributed most to where you are now in your understanding of influence. Well, as a young kid, I had to influence my father because he was a victim of the Holocaust. He loved me very much, but he was very damaged from the Holocaust mentally. Um, he wanted to, us to have a great life that he didn't have. So what he basically did was we created a prison at home with very severe consequences. And you lived a very sheltered life. You couldn't go out. If you made one mistake or didn't do exactly what he read, there'd be verbal and physical abuse and a lot of PTSD, quite frankly. So the, the, the uh, result for me is I had no confidence as a child, as a teenager. I had stories about what I think I, is wrong with me and all the other good stuff. And it took me many years to, to go through those stories and debunk them and, and get myself to a point where, um, you know, I had the confidence to go out and do things. So if I look back on my life, which I did a few years ago when I as you know, I was president of the National Speakers Association. When I gave up the gavel in June 2014, I had nine surgeries, mostly in my back. I have nine levels fused. Wow. Tiger Woods had one, I had nine, but I'm still playing golf, believe it or not. But those three <laughs> years, those three years were hell. Oh, I, I wasn't imagine. speaking and you know, I had some consulting. So when you're laying there on drug medication, you know, pain medication. You start evaluating your life. I was 57 at a time, and I think about all the successes I had, which was many. But then I think about all the things I didn't get to, which was because of my own insecurities and stories that I told myself and everything else. And I realized how much time I wasted. And then realizing that I'm on the back nine of life now, I better get moving because there's not enough time. So then I started realizing, you know, I'm doing a lot of sales, coaching, speaking, leadership speaking. But I was losing my passion a little bit at that time after you do it for so long. And the passion that was really starting to give me spark was this concept of the velocity mindset, which is to go out and impact the whole world on letting everybody understand what robs us of our velocity. So at the end of a period of time or a life or whatever, no one, and I mean no one, sits there upset because they did not achieve what they wanted to achieve. Now, it's not that easy. There's also outside forces. We know that. Sure. But for the most part, the things that really stop us from moving forward is ourselves. We mostly stop ourselves, yeah, yeah. more so than outside forces. So when you were uh, going through that period where you were recuperating from these back surgeries and not speaking, um, it would have been easy, it seems to me, to say, well, it's the outside forces that are keeping me from moving ahead. And yet somehow you came up with an understanding that there was something. Well, I learned that with my father because, you know, I had no one to turn to. So I, I had, I, I, you know, you had to learn how to negotiate your way out of it, you know, to minimize the, uh, the issues. But, you know, when we uh, teach the velocity mindset in organizations, first of all, everybody in the world is a leader. You don't have to be a manager. You lead your lives, you lead your families, whatever. The first thing I say in the book is every leader, if something goes wrong, they don't start blaming somebody or something else. They ask themselves the question, what could I do differently? Right. Because at the end of the day, it all starts and ends with the leader. Mm -hmm. 
You know, maybe your instructions weren't clear. Maybe you picked the wrong people. Whatever it is, you need to look at that. Now, it doesn't mean you still don't look at anybody else, but you don't start with the other people. You look at what you could do first, because that's the only way you improve. Once you improve, everything else improves. Once you improve, everything else improves. Yeah. Right. So I'll give you an example. Um, <clears throat> when, I, when I got out of college, I wanted a sales job. And medical devices, because why? Eh, I wanted to be like a doctor, but not have to do all the technical training because I wasn't in the details. <laughs> okay. It was a bad thing for a doctor. Um, and so uh, I wanted to become a, you know, a, a, a medical sales device salesperson because, uh, hey, they're company cars and all the trappings and everything. And they said, well, where's your experience? And, well, I'm just starting out. Well, get the experience first. Well, how do you get the experience if you don't get a shot? Right. Well, I couldn't get a job for two years. And then so I went to retail and then I finally got a sales job. It was from Royal Business Machines. Mm. And at 1980, it was a day of the transformation where they went from wet liquid toner that always got all over your clothes when you changed it to now dry bond toner. No must, no fuss. Take it out, put it in. It prints 15 gorgeous copies a minute. And I said, well, where's the collator? Don't worry about it. Six months down the road, duplicator, six months down the road. So I go out with this, with this slow machine. Great machine was slow. They said, well, can you compete with a big machine on the third floor of the Xerox machine? And I go, no. They say, when you can, come back and talk to us. Mm. Well, after two months of not selling one thing and having a door hit my butt so many times that it became totally sore, <laughs> I decided to have a board meeting. Me, myself, and I. Okay. All three of you. <laughs> All three of us. And where do we go for a board meeting in New Jersey? The diner. So I went to the diner. Now, here's the thing. Remember we talked about stories? Right. Well, who wrote the story? You did. We did. Yeah. Right. You know, and, the good, and the good news is whoever writes the story can. Change the story. Yeah, exactly. Rewrite it. So when you realize that, the key to remember is stories are fueled with emotion. Now, if it's a positive emotion that's driving you forward, don't change it. But if it's not driving you forward and it's holding you back, they need to change it. And when you realize that whoever wrote it can change it, that in itself starts to reduce the emotion. And you have to reduce the emotion to where you can sit down and think logically about the situation. Mm, okay. So now I'm in a diner. And then think logically. Right. Yeah. Back to what you and said. That's before. the only way you get to the creativity. Right. So then I'm saying to myself in the diner, I said, okay, so what's going on? I'm going in selling a copy. What's their response? They compare me to Xerox. I can't compete because I don't have that. Now at that point, it could very easily say, my company sucks. You know, they promise it to me. How are they expecting to sell one copy against all this? I didn't do it that way. I could have, but where was it going to get me? I still had to deal with what I had. So I said, well, that conversation is not working. What other conversation did you get into? You know, every action creates a reaction. If you don't like the reaction, change the action. Okay. So I said, well, a copy is nothing more than a communication vehicle. Hmm. Maybe I'll have that conversation, see what happens. So the next call I went on to, I, I, I found this uh, uh, female office manager, and I said, would you agree with me that a copy is nothing more than a communication vehicle she goes absolutely 
And I said, well, when it comes to that, what are your biggest challenges? And David, it was like, I was a therapist. She was in my office and she was now <laughs> laying down on her couch, giving me all of her woes. She goes, we need to talk. Sally and Jim have to make one copy. They get up on the first floor. They talk to everybody along to the staircase. They get upstairs. Then they have to wait behind all these big jobs. Then they have to make the return trip, talking to everybody. And by the time they come back, it can take two hours. And she's literally talking to me like that. Oh, my gosh. And I said, well, how often does this happen? She goes, how often? Try the equivalent of two full-time employees a week. I go, wow. wow. Would you like them back? Because how are you going to do that? Yeah. Would you like <laughs> the employees back? Not would you like a copier? Would you yeah, like exactly. Because that's what she's buying. That's what yeah. she's buying. Sure. So I said, I'm not here to compete against that big Xerox machine on the third floor. It's a great machine. Use it. I'm here to fill in your gaps. Mm. And your gap right now is those one and two copies. And I can give you a solution where you can reduce from two hours to five minutes in getting those copies, even two minutes if you want. Yeah, you get one copy, it might be five minutes. You get one for each four, it could be two minutes. David, she bought three copiers that day. Three copiers that day. And I bet you went out and celebrated. <laughs> yes, but then I kept using that conversation again and repeating it. Yeah. And that was a conversation because when you can't compete, and that's what I wrote in my previous book, Leads Took It Out of the Way. One of the things I said to salespeople, stop competing. You want to create. You want to, and this is very important for your scientists to listen to. You want to create. You want to create solutions for the gaps people have. Creates. The gaps are the outcomes that they want. It's what they want to have fixed or what they want that they don't have right now. So concentrate in your communications and identifying those gaps, the things that people emotionally want solutions to, and then simply tell them how you can help them get that. Identify the gaps. Yeah. What is the gap? And, and the gap isn't your information. No. It's so that's filled by that, your information. It's going to be filled by the solution that you can lead your, your listener to see that, that you're presenting to them. Absolutely. So there's another way I would phrase that. Your information is the how. Mm -hmm. What you're selling is the what, the outcome. Mm -hmm. Start with the what. Start with the what. The emotional pull. Then tell them how you're going to do it. Get them to focus depending, on what the outcome is, and they'll then they'll be curious about how. And then they're listening. And then, listening. And then when you explain the how, modify the technical explanation to the level of your audience. Obviously, if it's one doctor talking to another doctor, you can talk complexity, but still it has to be around how that doctor is going to benefit from you doing it. Right. One of my uh, great successes was with medical device companies. Funny, they wouldn't hire me. Not all coming to me to save the butts. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this one company came out, they, they sold to ear, nose and throat surgeons, and they came out with a brand new machine, three in one. It can cut, light, and irrigate. And uh, they couldn't sell it. And they were $96 million capped. They just went public. And that was a machine that was going to take them to the next level. Why couldn't they sell it? Because when you come out with a great new technological advantage, your competition sees it. So they re-engineer, come out with something themselves, not as good as yours. So how do they compete on price? It happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So in this case, the largest 
supply of medical devices in the country, created their own version and gave it away for free. Oh my gosh. They would give the machine away for free, forcing everybody then to make the money on the consumables, the blades. Oh, right. And so my client- Sell on the blades. My client wanted to sell this, but how can you sell when people are giving it away for free? So the guy calls me up and goes, hey, someone heard you speak. We'd like to have you come maybe do a keynote speech. And I said, who are you looking at? He goes, Brian Tracy. Now, Brian Tracy is one of the top thought leaders in the world. Um, at that time in 99, he had more books written than I probably had years on the earth. And I wasn't that young. <laughs> and uh, Brian and I are close friends. You know, he served on my board of directors when I was president of NSA. And I told him the story and he laughs. He goes, yeah, please use it. So Brian was just trying to sell a keynote. You know, and the keynote was X amount of dollars. I was not selling a keynote, I was selling a solution. And I asked the guy when he hired me, when he called me to hire me, he goes, I said, what do you want out of the keynote? And he explained the situation that we just talked about. And I said, what do you want from me? He goes, I have $8 million of capital equipment out there for free. Well, what do you want from me? I want that money back. <laughs> and I go, well, then the keynote's not going to help you. He goes, what do you mean? Look, I'll come in and I'll get them dancing on the tables and feeling great about themselves. But that's not going to solve your problem. You know, there's three things for adult education. Awareness, the emotional Awareness, part. Right. Then the second part is a transfer of skill. Mm. What you take, what you intellectually understand, and put it to use. And you're going to fail in the beginning until you figure it out and get used to it. And then the third part is measurement of results. So it's awareness, transference of skill, and measurement of results. Keynote it's only about awareness. What you really need to do is you need to change the conversation. If you really want me to help you get that $8 million back, I need to go into the field, see the conversation that they're having. I need to try out a new conversation, and then I can report my findings at your meeting. He goes, okay, but can you still do a keynote after that? I go, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, now I'm in the field. I'm in a surgical suite, you know, because salespeople do sit in a surgical suite so they can explain how to use the equipment. So the doctor sees me. He doesn't realize I'm a former EMT in New Jersey. So I've seen a lot of things. Okay. And, uh, you know, I rode ambulance. So he goes, hey, Ron, come over here. He's got the patient all the way back with his head up, you know, and the mouth open. He goes, look at this. And he pops the tonsil out. And he expected me to faint. And I said, is that all you got? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, I was an EMT. You're not really impressing me. And I said, <laughs> but I got a question for you. And so we're talking over the patient. I asked him, what are your three biggest challenges in surgery these days? And all of a sudden he goes, oh, my God. You know, we are only allotted to operate certain times during the week. You know, so we get maybe six hours um, and maybe not that best hours. Um, so you only do so many procedures and the insurance companies are paying you less and less. And therefore, now I got to make a heck of a lot more money, but I can't generate it because of these restrictions. And so, we know, this machine actually reduces your surgical time by seven minutes. It's been proven. He goes, yeah, I know that. Well, if you look at a year's end and if you can count all those seven minutes, how many more procedures can you put through? And would that be enough to make up for what you're losing? He goes, absolutely. I said, that's why you need to buy this machine. He goes, we got to speak to the hospital administrator because they're the ones who buy it. So I went to the hospital administrators and I said the same thing. And then they started buying it. 
What I didn't know was the salespeople that were with me started texting their buddies and saying, you better listen to this guy. So when I came there and a hundred salespeople were there, they were ready. <laughs> and, we, and we gave them the uh, presentation. Bottom line is six months later, I got the equipment back. They brought me back and this was a surprise. I came in like Elvis, you know, places rocking. They didn't tell them that I was there. More importantly, they were sold for a billion dollars to Medtronic. Wow. Four years later. Wow. Okay. There's a success story. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Wow. We just got a couple of minutes left. Uh, and, and I could talk to you all day. And I'm enjoying this conversation so much, Ron. Um, but tell me a little bit more about uh, your book. What, what is it that you would like people to have as the, the key takeaway today? So I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to have this book out there for everybody because I really want to impact people's lives. I want them to figure out what's stopping them from getting to where they want to be so they can address it and get to those results. My mission is to try and get the world to look at and live with a velocity mindset. It will help in how we communicate with each other. It will help in eliminating stories that hold us back. And quite frankly, it will bring us all together because empathy is a big part of communication and most people in this country and world do not understand what empathy really is and how to use it. So I'm on a mission to get the velocity mindset into the ears of as many people as possible. So we have a website. The URL is velocitymindset.com. Again, it's velocitymindset.com. When they go on it first, a pop-up window will be asking for their email address. That's all it's asking for. The reason is because every Friday we release new videos that I do on the Velocity Mindset so they can stay in that conversation. Mm. Second thing they can do is they can access a free leadership assessment. Five simple questions that you gauge yourself. And if you want to improve in those areas, it gives you tips and best practices of what you can do immediately. Mm. And then there's a link to the book on Amazon.com that you can get in any format from audio to Kindle to the hardcover. So go to velocitymindset.com, you know, sign up for the, for the uh, newsletter. It's free and get those videos. Um, sign up for the free leadership assessment and engage yourself. And then more importantly, get your hands on the Velocity Mindset book and read it. It's uh, you, David, you had a great way of saying in the beginning, you told me what you liked about the book and how it's written. Share that with the audience, please. Sure, sure. Uh, I just picked it up. I haven't finished it yet, but you know what has really propelled me into it is I love the way you bring together your personal story with research-based findings. It makes it so accessible and yet authoritative at the same time. Right, which is very important for your audience. Yes, it is. They they would like to hear and read research-based findings. That's my yes. audience. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Ron, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me and uh, wish all of your listeners all the best for a very successful 2022. Thank you. And this is David Odie on the power of story and science. If you want to reach out to me, just go to storyandscience.com. That's the homepage for this program. And you can explore that and find ways to connect with me, including just clicking on that, have a conversation button. And that's where it can start. Whatever conversation you'd like to have with me about anything you've heard on this program. And as always, thank you for being part of the story and science community. This has been the power of story and science. 
If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.